And turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3 and look at somebody and say, it's time we step it up. Time we step it up, step it up. Amen. And so we're looking at the life. On Sunday morning, we're looking at Joshua and the children of Israel and Moses and Joshua and how Moses died and Joshua had to step it up to another level of leadership. Uh, and uh, same kind of theme on Wednesday night, but we're looking at Paul and Timothy and really the first, the, these two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, they're step it up letters. Uh, uh, they really are. And so we've learned on Sunday and Wednesday uh, that to step it up from our kind of combined effort, we gathered together some thoughts. What does step it up mean to us? It means to advance, to increase the intensity of something, to rise to a challenge, to lift to another level. And I think it's time for the church across the board to step it up. It's certainly time for pastors to step it up. It's time for God's people to step it up. And Paul knew that was the case with Timothy. And Paul knew his days were numbered. In fact, uh, when you get to 2 Timothy, he's kind of writing his uh, last thoughts before he, he goes to heaven, giving them to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of rejoicing. And so he's telling Timothy, it's time to step it up. Everybody say, it's time to step it up. And so, so that's what we're looking at on Wednesday night. And we've looked, we looked at the first Wednesday, we looked at the relationship of, of Paul and Timothy. And it's just a powerful one. Uh, and how we should all, how we should step it up in our relationships, looking at their relationships. Paul writes this letter. He, he calls him a son in the faith. Uh, and, and a true son in the faith. And then tonight you're going to see he calls him old man of God. I, lo- I love that. Here's my son in the faith, old man of God. He's just really encouraging his son in the Lord to step it up. Uh, and, and it's in a loving way, uh, not in a bossy kind of you better get it in gear or I'll kick your tail kind of thing. It's in a loving, caring, pastoral, fatherly uh, mindset. So that was what we looked at first. And then last Wednesday, uh, we looked at uh, the fact that we've got to step it up to a new level of spiritual warfare. Uh, and, and, you know, Paul told Timothy after he got through some of his kind of beginning thoughts, he said this charge, he jumps right in and, and, and is pretty strong with his son in faith. Verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. I about to say the good warfare. Now, somebody tell me what a good, good fight is. It's one you win, amen? Uh, and so Paul is full of anticipation. Uh, in fact, uh, he tells him in another passage, fight the good fight. You know, don't get in a fight planning to lose. Your fight's got to be one you're going to win. And we'll kind of look at that a little at the end tonight again. Uh, but, uh, uh, and we realize that he didn't say a fight, fight a fight or a good fight. It's the good fight. Uh, really saying to us, that life is a battle. If you're going to be a, a, a new level of leader, if you're going to step it up to another level of leadership, you've got to always be on guard and be, be resistant and be waging the good warfare uh, and, and resisting the devil and doing spiritual warfare with the tools and the weapons of, that God has given us. So that's where we've been. And now I'm going to step it up another notch here tonight. Somebody say it's time we step it up time we step it up. I'm going to step it up another notch, and we're going to look in chapter 3, 
and we're going to step it up to a new level of our leadership lifestyle. Uh, this is our thought. Step it up to a new level in our leadership lifestyle, really the lifestyle, the biblical lifestyle of leaders, of which we all are. Uh, now, chapter 3 talks about two specific types of leaders, the overseer, the bishop, really you could call it the pastor, the, the, you know, the, 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 the father of the faith. And then down in verse 8, he talks about deacons. Now, tonight, I'm going to read through this. Uh, and Paul was, uh, pardon me, Timothy was kind of a hodgepodge of all of it. He, if you remember, Timothy, uh, some think it was the pastor in Ephesus, but it was almost like he was interim minister. He would go before Paul, and sometimes he would stay after Paul, but he didn't stay all the, you know, forever in, in, in only one place. He kind of moved and he was transient. So he was kind of a, he, he was Paul's certainly support uh, and faithful friend and helper in ministry, but uh, he, he was kind of a hodgepodge of all these things. And so tonight when I read through this, here's, here's what I'm going to do. Rather than look at the specific qualifications of what it takes and what it means to be uh, a bishop or an overseer or even a deacon, which is more of a servant-oriented role, which is an office in the church, by the way, Rather than coming at it this way, I'm going to read through this, and then we're kind of going to melt it down into some principles and some characteristics uh, that all leaders need to live by, some lifestyle of leadership, how we, how we should live. And there's a key verse close to the end that will certainly give us context and directive for this tonight. So here we go. I'm going to read through the entire chapter uh, and, and it's really a cool one. And it ends very interestingly, and, and, and I've got a little insight to the end of this chapter that seems almost like it's out of place, but it's really not. So here we go. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or overseer, he desires a good work. Everyone say good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. How many of you are catching the lifestyle theme there? Okay. Not given to wine, not violent, nor greed, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. I kind of like some, you know, some of the knots and then there's some, you know, he's saying you, you can't be this way, but here's the way you ought to be. And so just some, just some great, just, uh, insights to, to the, the reality that leaders have to step it up, up a notch. And so, uh, he said, one who rules his own house well, verse four, uh, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, that means a, a rookie, if you will, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. In other words, as the devil was lifted up in pride, he'd be lifted up in pride. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. I assume that's the referencing outside the church, that your lifestyle must have a, be a good testimony, not only in the church, but outside the church, among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. Just a little side note, I... I there's no theological depth to this. But he told, he told the bishop, not given to wine, 
He told the deacon not given to much wine. I don't know if you'd rather be a deacon or a bishop. I don't know. Uh, I just was just an interesting little insight, Josh, that maybe you could do a deep, detailed study on one day. <laughs> but uh, I guess I guess the 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 credentials lowered just a titch there. Uh, I just thought that was funny. I thought I'd throw it out. Not given to much wine. Not greedy for money. Hold, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let those also first be tested. Everybody say tested. And let them serve as deacons being found blameless. I'm telling you, the, the, the bar is raised. You remember last year we talked kind of the same theme, raising the bar, stepping it up. Uh, he, and he, he's saying, hey, you know, uh, we gotta, we gotta step it up here. This is what it takes in leadership. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, reverent, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pause right there and just say, you saw a lot of, you saw a lot of, uh, uh, kind of same kind of thoughts for each of those. You know, the husband of one wife. Let me just say, uh, there's different belief systems on those phrases. My particular reading of that is it, it certainly would reference polygamy for sure. Is that more than one wife? Yeah. You know, we know that's not, you know, New Testament standard. Hey, one, one wife, one life. Everybody say one life, one wife. Now, uh, but really the, the, the phraseology is a one woman kind of man. It, it may not even mean that if you're going to be a leader, you got to have a wife or that you, some would, some de- denominations say if you've ever been divorced, you cannot be in leadership. I don't believe that because, uh, it just makes no biblical sense. How many of you know if you were a murderer, and God forgave you, you could still be in leadership. So, so you gotta think that maybe Paul wasn't, uh, talking about that, uh, because, uh, you know, it, it was, he's talking about the mindset, also talking about potentially you can't be roaming around looking at other women, but you're a one woman kind of man. You, you got that settled. Okay. So that's just a little commentary there, uh, that I thought I'd clear up. And so, so he finishes up this thought with the deacons. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now catch this. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write, catch this, so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. In other words, I'm telling you these things so you and others who you influence will know how to live and how to conduct yourself. How many of you know there's protocol, there's conduct when you call yourself a Christian and when you call yourself a faithful member of the house of God, this is the conduct. He says, you ought to know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. In other words, the lifestyle of leaders in the house of God. And then I like his little, uh, oh, his little explosion of insight about the church. 
He could have just said the church, but catch this. He's fired up about the church and he's, he's pretty jazzed up, uh, passing these, this baton and all this insight onto Timothy. He says, but uh, he said, you need to know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And, and so he's just saying, listen, you got to know how you conduct yourself in the church, which is the stability of life for all of us. It's the pillar of truth. It's the place of stability that we all need to uh, understand. He, he lifts, he, you know what he does right there? He lifts just a little bit, hopefully in Timothy's mind, the value of the local church. Let me tell you what the church is. It's the church of the living God. It's God's church. He's alive. It's not religious, not a religion. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a family of faith and, and God is the head and Jesus is the head and, and, and we need to know how to conduct ourselves in his house. Ooh, you catching that? And that in his house is the place of stability and foundation in our life. People who think they can, this is commentary, this is not my notes. People who think they can live a strong Christian life and not be established in the local church are, are sadly mistaken. So here's where it almost seems like he shifts gears, but he really doesn't. He says, let me back up. He says this, but if I'm delayed, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the pillar, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground or the foundation of the truth and without controversy. Now, catch this. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. Now, what's he talking about here when he, what was... What was he, he just finished talking about? Qualifications, guidelines, the lifestyle of leadership in the church. And now he equates it. He, he shifts gears a little and he says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What's godliness? Right living, righteous living. And here's where he kind of gives insight of where it is all born. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was that? Gee, somebody said out loud, Jesus. He was justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up into glory. You know what he just told in kind of a unique way? The gospel. And he said, let me just give you the mystery of all this. Let me tell you where it let me tell you, and if we had time, we could, we could build a foundation for this on righteous living. How, how many of you know we walk by faith, not by sight? We don't, we don't have the strength to say nope to dope. How do we, for, for by grace you are saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So what, what's he bringing Timothy back to? The foundation of the church which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation, and also not only the power of God unto salvation, but the power of God to live the way he wants us to live. If we build our life on the gospel, if we tap into the gospel reality by faith daily, we walk by faith, 
we'll be able to live the life that God has for us to live. And we'll be able to accomplish. You know, when you start reading, there's a, and that kind of gives me balance here. You know, uh, people don't like do's and don'ts and you start reading the do's and don'ts and, oh man, I can't do this. Oh gosh, you're not giving to this hospital, sober minded. You know, ooh man, that's a, he's raising the bar there. I don't know if I could really, really do that. Well, none of us could really, really do that in our own strength. We do it through the power of God in our life. Somebody say a big amen. So there's the chapter. And I'm telling you, he's telling Timothy, okay, listen, you're about to, you're about to take over. You're, you're about to move to another level in your leadership responsibilities. He's prepping him. He's priming him. He's, he's giving him really everything he needs to understand. Uh, and he says, you, and I'm just telling you, this is how you have to con- conduct yourself. This is how you got to live. This is the lifestyle that is, this is the expectation of the gospel. When the gospel comes into your life, there's a, there's a raising of the bar. There's a stepping up. You know, uh, it's the gospel of Christ that leads me to salvation. That leads me. If, if what, what Paul tell the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, everybody say in Christ. In other words, someone who has been implanted in the house of the Lord, into the lifestyle of God, and become born again and part of the family of faith, anyone in Christ, he is a whole new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We have new life. Amen. And so, with that in mind, let me just kind of melt, like I said, I'm going to melt it down into some leadership lifestyle characteristics for you. And I'm going to show them to you from this chapter. The first one, uh, it's from the first verse that uh, lifestyle leadership, it's of one of great value. And he s- shares a word here in the first verse of this chapter that is called a good work. Everyone say a good work. He said, if anyone desires the office or the position of a bishop or an overseer, he desires a good work. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, this is, this is something good. This is great. And really the, that phrase good work means valuable and virtuous. And what he's trying to instill into Timothy, and I believe he did a pretty good job, the value of who we are as leaders. That we're valuable to God. Look at your neighbor and say you're valuable to God. God raises us up because we have great value. We have great purpose as we talked about last, last Sunday. And as we'll talk about what on earth am I here, are here for? There's great value. Uh, and, and then as I showed you down, uh, oh, uh, uh, in verse 15, the, the value of the church and the value of the people of God in the church. And let me just tell you something. Most people don't think they're very important to God. Most people don't think they're very invaluable to the family of faith. Most people think they're, in, they're, they're very dispensable and replaceable. Uh, and most people don't think the church is very valuable to them or they're very valuable to the church. And what Paul's saying, listen, you need to lift the lid here in who you are. If you desire the office of... If if you want to be a person of influence in the church, man, you're desiring a very valuable place. God looks to leaders and people of influence as very valuable. And let me tell you one of the real important areas where all of us, uh, we, in fact, how many of you know, as we yield to the 
lifestyle that God has for us and the responsibility he has for us, our value goes up in the economy of God. Amen. In fact, as a pastor, there are people that, you know, that part of our church family, you go, oh man, hope nothing happens to them. They're really valuable. They're really important. You know, uh, Tiffany's back there. When Randy and Emmy left and went to Sour Lake, they were founding members of this church. Uh, but they did a lot of stuff and I just didn't realize how valuable they were until they were gone. I said, OMG, I should have never sent them over there. Uh, we, in some ways we've never recovered. Uh, and so, uh, uh, they're valuable. In fact, you remember Dorcas who died? Was she the seller of purple? I get some of them mixed up. But Dorcas died and, 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 uh, uh, I think it was Paul who, mm, I've been, I can't remember who raised her from the dead, uh, because she was such a servant in the church and such a great value to the church. My kind of insight was God looked down and said, Oh man, she's so valuable. We're going to raise her up. I don't know if that's true or not, but she was a great asset to the local church. And so, so we need to embrace this reality. And here's where it really, here's where it really comes to life. It's not just in the mundane duties, but in the modeling and mentoring of other leaders in our life. And we talked about that early on, Paul and Timothy and how, you know, son, father to son and, you know, uh, and how important that is. But let me just, let me just lift the lid in all of our thinking here. All of us should not only be being mentored, but all of us should always be on some level be mentoring other people. That's how the process, that's how the church grows. That's how leaders, in fact, uh, how many of you know, uh, there seems to always be a leadership crisis or, uh, in, in the church. And you, the big reason is we're not raising up people beneath us and promoting them, you know, bringing them up beside us, as Pastor Ron says, and then promoting them above us. Always raising up new leaders, always modeling. In fact, uh, a book I read, I can't remember. He's the pastor of the Oaks in Waxahachie, Texas. I can't remember his name. Uh, in, uh, uh, one of his leadership books, he, his mindset is model, mentor, and multiply. Everyone say model, mentor, and multiply. Somebody who's doing that is hugely valuable to God. And that's what Paul, and because the, the whole, t- the whole tenor, if you will, of these two letters is Timothy, you gotta reproduce yourself. You gotta reproduce yourself. You got what I've done for you, you've gotta do for others. I'll show you that, uh, uh, in a couple of passages. So all of us need to embrace this. If you wanna make yourself real valuable to God and valuable to your church, embrace the value of being a mentor and a model to others. Not only being mentored, but being a mentor. Look at a couple of verses. First Timothy chapter four, verse 12. Look what he says right here. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. What's he saying? Be a, not a, hey, don't just follow me as I follow Christ, but understand something. There's people looking at you. You be an example. You be a model. You be a mentor to those people. And he tells them how to do it in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity and so on and so forth. And then he, in the second letter, he gets very specific about this. And this is hugely valuable. This is what, this should be the lifestyle of every believer, especially every leader, every person of influence in the church. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and the things that you have heard from me, 
among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, reproduce yourself. Model, everyone say model, mentor, and multiply. That needs to happen on all levels. When, if, if you're, if you're over a particular ministry, whether it's nursery or, or, you know, or the, the, you know, I'll never forget Daniel's not here. Daniel and his wife, Yatara moved to Dallas, but Daniel was over the, the, the kind of all the sound and the media. And I got all our leaders together and I said, you've got to begin to replace yourself. You got to begin to replace yourself. And, and Daniel said, uh, uh and then he said, Oh, we're going to be moving. I said, okay, Daniel, you got to replace yourself. Well, he kind of, uh, don't tell him I was talking about this, but he kind of drug it. I, and then they were getting around. I said, Daniel, you can't leave. Now, he's a son in the house, okay? This is not just somebody who, you know, the cat's drug up. I said, Daniel, you can't leave. You haven't replaced yourself. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, people began to come, okay? And so that's the way it's all supposed to work on every level. Everyone say model, mentor, and multiply. That ought to be the lifestyle of leadership. It's a good work. It's a valuable work. Okay? And, and if we can raise up, you can give it another word. Give it the word discipleship. Whatever you want to give it. But, uh, uh, that's what, you know, and, and if all, if, if each of us in this room began to catch that, things would begin to change and the tenor of the church would begin to change. And, and, and your ministries and the places where you serve would begin to change. Okay, so uh, that's a that's a great lifestyle. It's 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 a it's the lifestyle of reproducing ourselves. It's valuable. It's a good work. Number two, uh, uh, leadership lifestyle. It's a virtuous lifestyle. Now that same phrase, a good work, it means a valuable and virtuous work. Uh, and and when you look at these two letters. Paul is tell, is is teaching Timothy not only for himself but for the the future of the church that hey uh, your ro- your role in life is to be one of virtue your model and example has to be a righteous one it has to be a holy life it has to be a virtuous life uh in fact uh we see this over and over uh in a uh, uh, uh Paul's instruction to Timothy, if you go back to that 1 Timothy chapter 4 that I just kind of shot at just a little bit in verse 12, look what he says again, let no one despise your youth or look down on your youth, but be an example, a role model, a mentor to the believers in word, in conduct, in love. Now, notice notice all the different angles here. It's personal integrity, personal uh, lifestyle uh, uh, choices. It's relational choices. It's the whole, it's the whole ball of wax. He said, let me tell you, it's, it's the whole ball of wax. It's not just in how good you talk on Sunday morning or how well you handle the responsibilities on Sunday evening or whatever. It's the lifestyle, uh, be an example to the believers in word in conduct in love in spirit in faith in purity. Everyone say purity. What's he saying? You've got to live a virtuous life. You've got to live a righteous life. Uh, and he outlines kind of a clear understanding of that. Till I come, give attention. This is kind of the how-to, if you will. Uh, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which is given you by the prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the elders. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself. In other words, 
your lifestyle and how you live, and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, catch the mentoring and the multiplying thing, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. What's he saying? You've got to live a virtuous life. Go to the last chapter. He hits it again hard. How many of you know this is right down the alley of where, all, where we all live? He's finishing up his letter. And man, he gets pretty stout. But here's where he calls him, O man of God. I love this. He doesn't demean him. He lifts him to another level. He's encouraging him. He's his son in the faith. He's giving him all these instructions and all these things he's got to do. But then he says, and he talks about, hey, you know, in the world, there's, there's people who are desiring to be rich and there's temptation. Verse 9, and snare, uh, uh, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money, verse 10, is the root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, In fact, if you remember, go back to the qualifications of leadership, not greedy for money. And here he says some people didn't get that part. But you, O man of God, I love that, flee these things and pursue after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. What's he saying here? He said, but you, O man of God, listen, you living in a world, people are making bad choices all around. Just because somebody else did it doesn't make make it okay for you, he's saying. Other people have fallen prey to this foolishness and these harmful lusts, but you didn't. You, O man of God, you flee these things and pursue. In other words, you got to live a virtuous life. And then he hits it again in 2 Timothy in the second letter. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. I, I've, I memorized this as a young man. Uh, verse 22. Uh, I'll just kind of give you the quick context. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What's he saying? You've got to live a virtuous life. Leaders in the church, let me tell you how you need to conduct yourself. You gotta, you gotta embrace the value of who you are and what I've called you to do. There's great value in modeling, mentoring, and multiplying. There's great value in what, who you are and your responsibility. You're not here to take up a seat or just to pay a bill. You're here to change somebody's life and make a difference in someone's life. That's why you're here. And that, that ought to be the mindset of all of us. If, what would happen if all of our church woke up in the morning and went, who can I help today? Who can I mentor today? Who can I model Christ for today? today? Uh, who can I invest my life in and, and multiply myself in them? Who man, that'd be awesome. So it's a virtuous life. It's a valuable life. It's a virtuous life. And the lifestyle of leadership, number three, it's a vigilant lifestyle. Let me show you this kind of hidden between the lines, but it's really not. Look in verse two of, of first Timothy chapter uh, three. He says this, a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded. Everyone say sober-minded. And then he says of good behavior. Anybody got the King James here? I think it says uh, uh, vigilant, diligent type thing. In fact, the, the word vigilant means keeping careful watch. To stay on guard against danger. And when you read the context of these two letters, 
Paul in many different ways and shapes, forms, and fashions. In fact, both letters are saturated with words about the importance and the priority of being on guard and being vigilant, watchful, careful. Are you, do you get that idea? Okay. Now, let me just show you. Let me show you in this verse right here. Then a bishop then must, everyone say must. I mean, how many of you, that's a vigilant word. A must be blameless. He must be sober-minded. He must. These are musts. These are not options. In other words, you can't be lackadaisical in here. You gotta be, you can't be careless. You gotta be careful. You gotta be watchful. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explode through some verses here. You follow with me that just have this idea of being watchful and careful. Uh, I'm gonna go 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created me to receive them, blah, blah, blah. How many of you know he's, he's kinda, uh, he's telling Paul, he's telling Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy, listen, you better watch out for this stuff. In the latter days, the Spirit says that people are going to depart from the faith. There's deceiving spirits. All right? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Jesus Christ who witnesses the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus is coming. How many of you get that vigilant, sober-minded kind of mindset there? Look in verse 20. Catch this. Here it is very clear. He ends this letter with this thought. Oh, Timothy, exclamation point. Guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid uh, the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of which is falsely called knowledge. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You catch that feeling? You got to be vigilant. You can't be careless. You got to be careful. You got to be watchful. And, and then it goes on. Oh, let me just go jump through. Second Timothy 2, 15. Where is that at? He says, uh, be diligent. Okay, there it is. Be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Look in verse chapter two, verse three, uh, chapter Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. But you know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Look down in verse 10. But you, now he, now, now he, here he's, he's honoring him a little bit that he's living life rightly. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, and perseverance. In other words, you've been vigilant. You've not made light of your walk with God. You've not made light of your responsibilities. You've watched and you were careful. 
Now, here's the closing keynote verse. This is where he's just about done. And this theme, he hits it very clear. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap upon themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But catch verse five, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Man, he's telling you, you better be vigilant. And let me tell you something, leadership in today's world has to be more vigilant, more watchful, more careful, more on guard than ever before. And, and certainly it was nothing, no different back then. And, and if we had time and we read through and you could do it tonight or tomorrow or this week, read through first and second Timothy with that thought of how Timothy, Paul is warning Timothy to be watchful and careful in his walk with God and his interaction with others and his ministry and his interaction with the world. It's a vigilant lifestyle. In fact, this is very interesting to me because it, Paul calls out some people who were not vigilant. In both letters, he calls people out. In chapter 1 of, of 1 Timothy, he calls out Hymenaeus and Alexander. He says this in verse 20. He says, uh, when he's talking about people who have rejected, uh, uh, departed from the faith and reject, they've suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And he calls them out. They were not vigilant. I don't know what it means to turn somebody over to Satan, but man, I'm telling you, I don't think I'd want to be in that line. That they learn not to blaspheme. He calls them out. And then you go over to 2 Timothy uh, in, in this context of being vigilant. Uh, he calls, I don't know if it's the same Alexander, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17, he, he's talking about people who shun profane, uh, he says, shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and, oh, no, it's not Alexander, but Hymenaeus, probably the same guy, and Philetus are of this sort. He calls out another one. Uh, Philetus got in on the second letter. These guys were not watchful. They were not vigilant. They were not sober-minded. They didn't keep their their thinking straight. And then at the close of his letter, he calls out Demas in chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. He calls them out. So these guys were not diligent. They were not vigilant in the way they lived their life because of the power of the gospel in their life. So it's a leadership lifestyle is a valuable one. It's a virtuous one. It's a vigilant one. And then here's number four. It's a visible one. Now, let me explain to you. Look at 1 Timothy. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 where we started uh, and kind of where we're getting all our thoughts. Uh, verse 7, in reference to the qualification of the overseer, he says, Moreover, he must have a good testimony on those who are without. In other words, his lifestyle must be visible and noticeable and recognizable and of a good report, not only in the church but outside the church, People should be able to see and know 
who you are because of the way you live your life. It should be visible to others. Some people say, well, I just, you know, I'm just, you know, going to live my life the way I need to live my life. But listen, people are looking at how we live our life. Our kids are watching how we live our life. Our, our work associates, uh, our employees, our employers, they're watching how we live our life. And, and, and how we live our life is visible. In fact, uh, uh, I'm trying to quote a scripture. I can't remember where it, where, where it is. It's, it says, where they may see your good works. I think this is in the Sermon on the Mount. And glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, your good works, your lifestyle's got to be visible. Look how he, look how he tells Timothy this again in chapter four of the first, of first Timothy. He says this, uh, uh, of course he says, be an example. Let them see it. Of course he says that. But looking down in verse 15, he says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them and, and not just for your sake, but that your progress may be evident to all. In other words, your lifestyle and the way you live your life has got to be visible and your progress must be evident to all. There must be evidence that you're growing in Christ, that you're pressing forward, that you're moving forward in the faith. The lifestyle of leader that he's looking for is people who live a life where others see the progress and the transformation of God in their life. And then I told you this earlier, but 2 Timothy 3.10 he, he makes note to, t- to Timothy. He says, you have undoubtedly in my book, he's kind of, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. In other words, I see the way you live your life. I can see it. I can see the difference. I can see the change. I can see it. It's visible. That's not secret agent Christianity. Everybody can see it. It's visible. And number five, the lifestyle of leadership that Paul is endeavoring to inv- in, in, uh, invest into Timothy, it's a vocal lifestyle. Let me show you this. Verse 3, if you go back to the same chapter, he says this about bishops. He says they've got to be able to teach. How many of you know that's vocally using your words, not just your lifestyle, but your words? Now you're not just modeling, you're mentoring, you're... you're you're speaking the words of God to other people. It's got to be vocal. And, and uh, just kind of two thoughts here. Uh, he's teaching him to be vocal with the gospel. That's what uh, chapter 3, verse 13 through 16 is all about. This is where it's all at. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to speak the gospel. You've got to preach the gospel. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge you therefore, verse 1, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, I'm telling you, he's telling him, he, you know what he's saying? I'm going to be out of here, but let me tell you something. You're not going to stand before me. You're going to stand before God with how you live your life. He'll judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He said, I charge you, verse 2, preach the word. Be instant, be ready, see in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse 5, he says, 
do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He's talking about being, being such a lifestyle that's not just in how people see how we live, but they also hear what we say. We are vocal with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, we're vocal with the guidance of others in our life. We're not just a model, we're a we're mentor. And as we've t- talked about, we teach others. Chapter 3, verse 2, be able to teach. Chapter 4, verse 6, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time is at hand, uh, my departure is at hand. Uh, I think that's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Let me jump over there. 1 Timothy 4, chapter 2. Uh, uh, He's, well, I'll skip that because that doesn't seem to be it. But he's he uh, uh, he's teaching us chapter four verse six. Instru- there it is. I- instruct the brethren in these things. Look in verse ten. These things command and teach. In other words, you be vocal with your guidance to others. Oh, hey, this is who you are. You're a teacher. You're not just a role model. People don't just look to you and how you live and get saved and grow in Christ. Uh, you don't reproduce yourself by just people watching you. You reproduce yourself by letting people watching you and your lifestyle back up the words that you speak to them. Are you with me? Say amen. It's a vocal lifestyle. In fact, if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, it says, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, everything he said from verse 12 to verse 16 is basically just being a model, being an example, being a, uh, you know, uh, being a, a good believer, living life right. But then he throws in verse 16, hey, you better open your mouth. People hear you. Your words are important. And then... Hey, he says, and I already read it, but I'll do it again. Second Timothy 2, 2. These things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Second Timothy 4, 17. Here's what Paul said about the end of his life. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. I love that. When you come to the close of your life, Could you be able to say, God, help me? And the message of the gospel was always preached fully through me. That's a powerful testimony. It's a vocal lifestyle, this lifestyle of leadership. And then finally, kind of just a capstone, it's a victorious lifestyle. We talked about fighting the good fight of faith, the victor. You know, Paul finishes this letter with a victorious testimony. I fought a good fight. The way I lived my life was honoring and pleasing to God. And now I'm in line for my heavenly reward because I lived the life that God had for me to live in the latter years of my life. And so he's teaching him through these two letters that, hey, the life is a fight, but you can be victorious. And just three thoughts, uh, and there's probably more, but basically when you look at these two letters, there's really three things that he's, he's warring against. Uh, and, and the first one is the foolishness of the flesh. You can be victorious over the foolishness of the flesh. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Uh, he said you've got to be victorious over the foolishness of the flesh. 
Number two, you've got to be victorious, and you can be and will be victorious over the false doctrines of the day, the false teachings, which both of these letters are just filled with warnings and, and revelations and insights that in that day there was false doctrine, false teaching, and people who were uh, speaking things that were contradictory to the gospel, like chapter 6, verse 20. He said, avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions, which is falsely called knowledge. And then 2 Timothy three thirteen, he says this. He said, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We've got to be victorious over the false teaching and doctrine of the day. And then finally, as we learn from Paul's uh, latter words of his life, about his life, we can be and should be victorious over. He just kind of capsulizes it, cap, puts it all in one thought, every evil work. Look what he says here. Paul says about his life. He said, the gospel was preached fully through me. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The lifestyle that God expects us to live as leaders and people of influence, if we're going to step it up a notch. You know, you ever hear people say, well, it's just the way I was brought up. They're just saying, I don't want to step it up a notch. This is just the way I learned it. This is just who I am. What they're saying is, I don't, I don't want to step it up. I'm not going to be victorious over this. I'm going to blame it on my mom and my daddy and my uncle and anybody else uh, and, and, and not take responsibility for my own life. Amen. So there you go. Some leadership lifestyle insights. Everyone says it's, it's highly valuable. Man, it is. We need to embrace it. it we got to live a... A, a virtuous lifestyle. It's a good virtuous work. It's a vigilant lifestyle. You got to keep on guard. You got to be watching all the time. It's got to be visible to those inside and outside the church. It certainly has to be vocal. We got to step up and speak up. And it will be victorious. And everybody said amen. Well, there's some. Lifestyle insights from Paul to Timothy from these two books. Father, tonight we thank you for the word of the Lord. Help us step it up to a new level of living. Help us live the kind of life that you would have us to live. Not as a second class Christian or one of these that Paul called out who stepped away from the faith, but Lord, let us press in with great vigilance to a new level of victorious living. And I want all of us here to pray today and say, Lord, help us open our mouth to speak the word of the gospel and the word of God to those around us. Help us embrace the value of who we are as models and mentors who help multiply the kingdom. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.